join us as we take a look behind the scenes with the independent musicians of Louisiana. Learn about upcoming projects before they drop. Experience the rich heritage of iconic venues and get first-hand accounts of exclusive events. Musicians are remarkable people. Get to know them, their struggles, and the inspiration for their art. NewOrleansMusicians.com is dedicated to uplifting the artists and providing them with the tools necessary to elevate their craft. We shine a spotlight on them, as well as highlight the music scene and educate everyone with our interviews, album reviews, and music scene news. This is NewOrleansMusicians.com. Well, you know, I grew up in a Citra Parish, and uh, Citra Parish has a very strong tradition of music and of, of band programs. Uh, so my mom started me off on the piano when I was like five years old, nice. and I remember being like seven or eight, and I was really dissatisfied. I really didn't like it. And she was like, well, why don't you like it? I was like, well, all we play is Disney tunes. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to play rock and roll. I wanted to play, I wanted to be like Dr. John or Elton John, you know, I wanted to... I wanted to, to play the rock and roll piano, and, I, and this piano teacher, she took one look in the, the Elton John songbook, and she saw Jesus Freaks out in the street. She was like, nope! <laughs> I, that <laughs> took it off the menu. Huh? She was like, not going to happen. You're going to sit here, and you're going to learn, be our guest from Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. You're going to like it. Yeah. But uh, I, didn't, I didn't really love it, and I didn't stick with it that long. Um, once I started... Middle school, I was in the, the, the band program, and I played trumpet. I, I knew I couldn't play drums because my older brother had played drums. I didn't want to be... I wanted to be in band like him. I didn't want to do the same thing as him. Sure. And uh, so I played trumpet through high school, and uh, a lot of my friends were really big into Guitar Hero. So the year was 2008, mm-hmm. and everybody was playing Guitar Hero. I had a group of friends that would get together after school at least once a week. And uh, we would play either Guitar Hero or Halo 2. And uh, I was spending so much time playing that game, I was getting really good. I had already beaten every song on hard, I was progressing through expert mode, I was on the last level, was, you know, where you face off against the devil and all that. And South Park has this episode where the kids are playing Guitar Hero and Stan's mom says something to the effect of, if they just spent half as much time learning a real instrument as they do in that stupid game, yeah. they'd have something. And I was sitting there holding my little controller like, is she right? Yeah. Is that, is that might, true? Might be on something, huh? Light bulb. Yeah. So uh, I, my mom had an old guitar that had been sitting around in a closet for 20 years at least that had been, that she'd bought actually in the 70s for 40 years basically, been sitting in the closet. And um, I asked her if I could get lessons over the summer because I found that LSU had like a little leisure class. It was like a hundred bucks for like five lessons in like a classroom setting. You're still in high school at this point or just out? I'm still in high school. Okay. I'm, uh, I'm, this is the summer before my senior year. Okay. And she relents and I do that. And then I play every day after school. Uh, I had kind of wanted to be in a band because when I was in middle school my older brother Andrew had been in a garage band with him and his friends they would come over every day after school and play and they'd play music in the garage and then they would play GoldenEye and Mario Kart and Mario Party and I thought wow that's so much fun he has this close group of friends he hangs out with every day that's sure. awesome I want that and uh, playing music was kind of cool so 
uh, when I got the guitar in my hands, I was just like, maybe I can make this happen. And like, I played every day after school. And in my last semester, senior year, I, was, I had one elective spot open in my schedule. I could take AP chemistry, theater, or guitar. Uh, I looked at what the theater was going to do, and they were going to do high school musical. Right. And I was like, mm, I don't want to do that. And so then I checked, and then I was like, do I really want to work that hard my last semester of high school by doing AP chemistry? And thought, no, I, don't, I really don't. So I ended up taking guitar, and the lessons that I learned from that, combined with just playing all day, every day after school, was what it took to get me to learn the instrument and be able to start writing music and learning music theory and and all of those things and that's yeah. kind of where my music journey started so I right at the end of senior year of high school I got together with a group of friends I wanted to form a band with it was uh, with with Casey Bateman BJ Davison and Lane Moran and we had a practice in Casey's garage and then a month later Casey Bateman was shipped out to the Marine Corps Lane Moran was shipped out with the National Guard, and B.J. Davison had moved to Seattle with his girlfriend. <laughs> that really blew way apart, huh? Yeah. Look, can I back it up for a second? I, I found it uh, interesting that you said you wanted to be like, uh, or playing, playing music like uh, Elton John or Dr. John, but you're talking about six, seven years old. Like, how did you know who those people were at six or seven years old? Or even, you know, so even have an appreciation. My mom was a DJ back in the 70s. She uh -huh. DJed at WFMF. Nice. She was a huge music person. My, my parents, are, I was always, my dad had me when he was 40. I was an oops child. He was, he was a child of the late 60s and early 70s. Mm -hmm. So, and she was a huge into the singer-songwriters of the 70s and, and all of that kind of stuff. The, uh, so, the Beatles and Crosby, Stills and Nash, Jonathan Edwards, uh, all, of the, all of the Beatles solo careers, the Eagles, all that. That's what she loved. Mm -hmm. He was big into the swamp pop as well as stuff like Three Dog Night and... Um, even you know Led Zeppelin. He wasn't super big on the hard rock, but you know some of it he liked. And so, when I was growing up, the music that was around me wasn't top forty radio. It was whatever top forty radio was in nineteen seventy three. Okay. <laughs> so I was I was listening to a lot of 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 that stuff growing up, not knowing that was weird. In fact, in Ascension Parish, is a place where Disco never died, and Swamp Pop never died, and uh, we like at our middle school dances, they were playing Wilson Pickett. Okay. Like, yeah, they might do the bunny hop. Yeah. There might be, they they might they might they might have cranked some DMX in two thousand two, but then the very next song was Land of a Thousand Dances. It was very strange. Yeah. Uh, looking back. But sure. I did, but we didn't know it was weird at the time. We had no perspective. Was her music collection being a former DJ? Was her music collection at the house? Uh, Some of it was, um, but unfortunately, back in the 70s, late, I guess it was probably like 1978, there was a hurricane that flooded her apartment in New Orleans, and she uh -huh. lost most of her records. She didn't have some of them, so I remember we had Wild Chapatulis, uh, we had a couple, I think we had Revolver, uh, but yeah, she had some of them still, but she had lost, she only had a fraction of her collection still, and in fact, the guitar that I was playing on, 
That wasn't the one she originally had, which was apparently much nicer. It was that was the one that had replaced the one that had been lost in that same flood. Oh wow! Okay. So she, but you know, she had she was a huge music person, and uh, that same senior year of high school, she took me to my first jazz fest because she wanted to see James Taylor. Okay. And I, thinking that I was very complicated and alternative and deep, wanted to see Wilco. Okay. And about halfway through Wilco's set, I got a little bored and went and saw Johnny Winters instead. Sure. <laughs> That's interesting, though, too, because, um, okay, how old are you? I what am, year were you born? I was born in 1991. Okay. You were listening to the music that my parents were listening to, so it became, it was the music that I grew up on. Right. And I was born in 76, but, I, I mean, I don't know what was quality that followed their generation of music. Uh, I think our parents were probably the same age, but um, that specific generation of music is is probably like just one of the best. It's incredible. It's incredible it, like, stuff. Y- good word, incredible. It, it just, really is. Uh, it just, it just, it has this timeless quality to it. Uh, I think and that music from the '80s really does not have. Uh, I think yeah. because I think it's because there's not a lot of synthesizers. There's no. There's no gated reverb on the drums. You have that dry snare, which you know you still hear in music today. Yeah. Um, and you can, it just has just enough of that crackle, just enough of that. Um, not everything is gridded and time aligned and auto tuned and. Yeah, it, a lot it of just, the polishing. They didn't have the techni- technology and, or the desire. Right, really. and so it just has this energy to it that a lot of modern music doesn't. Yeah. Now, I was getting a fair amount of the 90s grunge growing up as well be- from my older brother, Andrew, because that's what he loved. He loved, uh, he, had, he had 10 by Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam yeah. He had uh, several Nirvana albums. He had every Foo Fighters album. So I was, I was getting that as well, don't get me wrong, but uh, from my mom, I was getting that, that 70s influence stuff. Yeah. And so now I'm in college. And I start auditioning for bands. And uh, my, my sophomore year of college, uh, my freshman year of college, I was just trying to not flunk out of school. Sure. <laughs> but my sophomore year of college, I was like, okay, I think I got this. I think I understand how college works now. I'm going to start auditioning for bands in my spare time. Because I was playing in Tiger Band on trumpet as well. So uh, my dance car was already pretty full. And I auditioned for two bands. One of them was to be a singer in a pop punk band mm-hmm. that was playing covers like uh switchfoot um we are meant to live mm-hmm. until the day i die by story of the year which was two of those songs were ones that my brother's band had covered back in the day uh, ocean avenue by yellow card and i remember and the other band was playing trumpet in a very bizarre reggae rap metal band okay i don't think i need any explanation there uh, but I didn't get the job with the pop punk band. Yeah. And uh, I ended up getting offered the position and as the trumpet player in that rap metal band, played with them for a couple of years. And so I had this funk phase where I was listening to a lot of Tower of Power and Earth, Wind and & Fire and, uh, and that kind of stuff, as well as ska, because a bunch of my friends in high school had a ska band. Yeah. Which played at like the Dark Room and all those little all-ages venues like that. But... So I was playing, instead of playing pop punk, which was one of the genres that I liked because that's what was playing in middle school and what I would hear on the radio, I went with that. And so I did that for a couple years. 
Uh, and at one of those shows, I met the woman that I would later marry and divorce. Um, but when I would show her my original music, she was not always the most receptive. Original being? The songs that I was writing on my guitar. Okay, for your first band, that was... Well, just for myself at this point. Okay. She wasn't always the most receptive. Um, every once in a while there'd be a song that she really liked. Um, she didn't really think my voice was that strong, what have you, but in 2014, uh, right towards the end of the year, we had this big bonfire, and all those friends that I mentioned had come into town, and they had just all moved back right around the same time. Wow. And so I said, well, guys, I know we only had one practice before. Why don't we, why don't we put a band together? Mm -hmm. And Lane wasn't available because he was already booked for playing bass in another band. But B.J. Davison, Casey Bateman, me, and the guy who's cooking in there, Ian Babin, got together and we formed a band called Bayou Bullets. And we were playing 70s style hard rock. Yeah. It's very interesting, though, because in the very beginning, you were, there was always this duality. Um, you were listening to what your parents like to listen to and play folk music and, and some rock from the 70s. And you were also listening to what your brother liked to play, which was... Fast forward 25 years to the grunge era. You the, know. Ni the 90s alternative. Yeah. Or maybe a little bit early 2000s, like your, your Audio Slave, your Walter yeah. Bridge, that kind of yeah. stuff. And then um, when you started to uh, audition for bands, uh, the two that you auditioned for couldn't have been further apart, <laughs> but you were still open to both, right? Yeah. Now, um, so I mean, I think that um, just being open to receiving new styles of music and considering them, um, makes you a, a well-versed musician in the end. Do you know what I mean? Right. Because you consider many different styles. Well, you know, my oldest, my oldest brother Matthew was a huge '80s fanatic. He loved uh, he he loved '80s pop music, which was why I couldn't stand it. Uh -huh. <laughs> he, lo he loved Madonna and and Bon Jovi and Tears for Fears, which was why as a, a teen, he everything that he liked I thought was was cringe, and everything the other brother liked I thought was cool because yeah. you know that's how little kids work. Sure. Yeah. It, but you you hinge that on your closeness to one over the other, or is it solely I based on I the just, music itself? I think I just hate gated reverb on drums and synthesizers. I think that's really what it is. Because, I mean, if you were to ask me personally, coming from uh, the, the the 70s and the folk music and the, the early rock... That the grunge um, would be more similar. Yes, number one. And number two, it's kind of hard for me to find a soul in pop music i feel like pop is kind of a soul killer and that's my personal opinion it's hard to find depth De in it depends on the pop depends on the pop you can find soul in some pop music but i will say it's sometimes hard to come by it is hard it is harder I would um, say. yeah so i guess i put this group together and we all had very different influences but we all grew up in the same place we had the same music education we had we i mean some of us were in kindergarten together all the way through high school yeah and um, we wrote, we must have wrote like 10 songs in about four months. It came quick. Yeah, yeah. it was, it was fantastic. And um, how long were they, how long were these guys gone for? They were, so Lane had moved back, I think. So he, they, they all left in the summer of 2009. Uh -huh. I think Lane moved back in 2013. And then the rest of them moved back in like, Fall, winter 2014. Okay. And we started the band right at the start of 2015. 
rapid fire. Yeah. It was like, fuck, we're all here. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Random bullshit, go. And can I ask, what made you decide to audition for the singing part in a group? Because up until now, you haven't mentioned doing that at all. Well, I, I played karaoke. I, I liked singing at karaoke a little bit. I actually learned to sing from mimicking um, Paul McCartney. Okay. Um, because, you know, when you're going through puberty, your voice is doing weird things and you yeah. can't. But for some reason, I could, I could, you know, zero in on that accent and just, uh, <laughs> and you know. What? Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. I could just zero in on that, and that's kind of, I learned to sing, singing with a British accent, because I, for some reason when I was trying to, if I was trying to belt out, uh, when I was in puberty, my voice would crack. <laughs> sure, yeah. It's not reliable then. Yeah. But um, for that one, it was just because it was just because I was like, oh, I like those songs. Let me try that. Let me see if I can do that. Yeah. Um, because I wasn't real confident with my guitar playing. I was I was very confident in my trumpet playing. I was I was pretty good. Uh, for a long time, trumpet was my number one instrument. It isn't anymore, only because of atrophy. You can see it's sitting right over there. Sure. Um, but uh, like I said, after. I finished playing with that rap metal band. I was still doing jazz gigs on the side. You know, that was that was just something that I that was what I was doing just to get a little bit of extra money here and there. You know, yeah. make fifty bucks playing an old folks' home, make a hundred bucks playing in a second line, that kind of stuff. Altogether, though, you spent more time with the trumpet than you did with the guitar. Even counting in your prior training, let's say, let's call Guitar Hero the prior training, or the, you know, well, the impetus. In it, it kind of came and went in cycles because uh, obviously with Tiger Band, that was a set practice schedule. I was going to be on that practice field with that trumpet, you know, two hours a day, four days a week. And then on Saturdays when there's a home game for all freaking day. Right. Uh, whereas with the guitar, when I was in high school, man, as soon as I got home from school, that's all I was doing. Uh, I was, uh, that's all I was doing. Uh, when or that, scene, that last year, when I was in my dorm room, I'd be sitting there just, just strumming away instead of studying because I didn't want to. And I had this guy would come down the hall and he would bang on the door. Play Freebird! Freebird! Inside up. <laughs> and then he would come back a few minutes later. Boop, boop, boop. Thank you! And then walk off. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like it was more your passion than trumpet was. It, it was. Uh, trumpet for me was... And don't get me wrong, I, I enjoyed playing it. But for me, it was the type of things that I got to create. With trumpet... I was always boxed in to either being an interpretive musician mm -hmm. that you play what's on the page, which let's be honest, I never did, but I was supposed to, or just coming up with random bullshit on the fly, no real set parts, nothing that I create. I'm just no, nothing. I'm just playing off the top of my head, trying to come up with something that fits in. Gotcha. And so that's that can be fun every once in a while, but with guitar, I was sitting there and I was writing. Yeah. I wasn't. Okay. I I didn't listen to all of the things that I should have listened to when I was starting out as far as learning the scales the way I should have or holding the pick the way I should have or gripping things the way I should have. So it, it kind of caused me to plateau after a while, but I was sitting there, I was there because I was writing music. I was coming up with songs all the time. Yeah, you were, through the guitar, you were able to express your true creativity. Right. As opposed to being stuck to the grid of uh, music theory. Exactly. Yeah. But... That background knowledge of music theory was obviously very helpful in being able to come up with sure. my own stuff. But so I get this group together in 2015, 
and we all have different influences. So we're just writing whatever kind of song we want. And so, um, unfortunately, Casey's situation changes after he'd only been here for less than a year. Him and his fiance moved to Colorado to be closer to her sister. So I was like, damn, man, I just got him back. Right. <laughs> and uh, I ended up bringing in a guy um, uh, named Ashton Proctor, who is this just unbelievably talented blues guitarist who had no idea. He was a engineering student that went to McKinley, who was at LSU at the time. And uh, incredible guy. And we go into the studio in 2016 and start and record five songs. Mm-hmm. And this uh, became known, this album was known as Five in the Chamber. Uh, and if you listen to the album, it sounds like three very different bands playing five different songs. Really? There is a pop punk song called Where the Sidewalk Ends. Uh-huh. There is a, um, like a Bo Diddley kind of blues song called Railroad Blues. There is a, a 70s folk acoustic kind of song called um, uh, White, Line, White Lines. So then you've got a kind of Black Crows kind of sounding song. You get, and, and then a, a really heavy blues rock, grimy kind of thing called Burn It Down. So you had you could hear that the, the band had all these different influences. And um, Ashton, when Ashton Proctor left, uh, because he got offered a really high paid job out of state, because that is what happens when you're in Louisiana. There's no job opportunities here. Yeah. Um, I end up being bringing in a couple other people to, to play with us, uh, one of which I found on Craigslist. Get out. People still do that. <laughs> yeah. It was this amazing guitarist from Letsworth, Louisiana, the hometown of Buddy Guy. Yeah. And this guy, we like to joke, he's the second best guitarist from Letsworth. Sure. I mean, he can't be Buddy Guy. Uh, but he's really, really great 80s metal player. And then I brought in a friend of mine, Joven Webb, who I had always wanted to, to play with, but he, was, he had been so busy with this band Rewind, this cover band, but the cover band had just broken up. Mm-hmm. And he had come to a few of our shows and had a great time. I had been in kindergarten with the guy. He was, once again, another guy that went, we went to high school with. So we bring him in, and he could not handle the pop punk stuff. Mm-hmm. So we had a few pop punk songs that we had, that we had written at this point. And so basically, we were, it was kind of a pick a direction, pick an identity. And so the more 90s grunge-ish and pop punk kind of stuff, 2000s pop punk stuff, Ghana got weeded out of that band and was left with the 70s hard rock and a little bit of the folk stuff. What was the process and, and how did you make the decisions? Or who made the decisions and how did... It was, so, it was sort of collaborative, but it was mostly between me and Joven because, uh, well, Chris, he is 80s metalhead. That's all he loves. He is 80s metal. He is Van Halen. That is, that is his disciple he plays the 5150 amp he has all the 5150 pedals that is his that is his god and he did not like pop punk because he he didn't like the fact that only some 41 played guitar solos and that all the vocals sounded really whiny to him mm-hmm. and joven didn't didn't hate it but he couldn't sing it he really right. struggled with it and uh, when i had been fronting the band for a little while before bringing in joven i had realized very quickly that i was pretty good at singing i was pretty good at playing guitar at the same time i was always having to compromise and it wasn't i i felt like i would be best doing one or the other so i said okay i'm gonna stick to guitar and bring in this amazing singer gotcha now if you know anything about joven webb he was top 10 on american idol in 2020 yep 
Uh, so I think I made the right decision as far as dudes to bring in for a blues rock band. I just recently <laughs> saw a couple of his clips because um, I was going through um, musicians in Louisiana, um, yeah. building up who was going to be next to interview. Oh yeah, he's a great interview too. Yeah, uh, but yeah, one of my oldest friends, and uh, man, we've had we had some great times playing with him. Um, we would still be doing so, but uh, Casey, who had come back for a while, he had he left the band again um, in October because his wife got pregnant with their second child, and he he was in six bands. He had to cut it down to three. Oh wow! <laughs> um, so we were a little bit too demanding on his time so he had to we had to so we're looking for another drummer for that group we changed our name to the black smokes last year but i found myself in 2019 after getting divorced but had this band in all these different forms over the years lots of people coming in and out uh but you know usually kind of sort of keeping it in the music family of friends that we had and i was really struggling what was the name before the Black Smokes? It was Bayou Bullets. Bayou Bullets. Okay, I don't think that was said. And I was I was really struggling um, with writer's block, and I I remember we I was struggling with depression after my divorce and. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, that's that's really fun. Um, I was I was really struggling with with depression after my wife had divorced me, and I was. Um, we ended up playing this show at the Varsity Theater. It was in front of a really big crowd, and it should have been one of the high points. Mm-hmm. And I just remembered feeling miserable. Yeah. And usually when I'm Usually when it comes to band stuff, you know, I'm really frustrated trying to get everybody to the show or I'm really frustrated with trying to arrange the practices and, oh man, got to make sure this person's gear's working and all that stuff. But once we get on stage, it's magic, you know, hanging out at the venue with all of, with the, the bands that we're friends with. That's, you know, that's usually, the, that's the payoff, you know? Sure. And I just remember I was feeling miserable. Yeah. And I had been talking to a lot of my friends about, you you, you ever, um, Realize you ever have you know weird things happen to you that realize that you need help? Sure. Yeah. For me, I was sitting around with my friends and I'm telling, I was trying to tell them something. Oh man, this is a really funny story. Nobody's laughing. Yeah. They're all really concerned. <laughs> yeah. And they're all people who have you know had their own issues with addiction or suicide or you know uh, things like that and. Um, I just remembered sitting in the green room of the Varsity Theater in Baton Rouge, just miserable, and knowing that I shouldn't be, but that I was. Yeah. And that moment made me have to go to therapy. I was like, I, okay, I can't put this off any longer. I've got to do something to process all these emotions from, yeah. you know, that, that I was dealing with. And while I'm in therapy, I was talking about some of the stuff that had been happening with the band, and Joven was uh, had got had gotten picked up for American Idol, um, and all the stress and stuff that we were having trying to record this album, and I was struggling with all this writer's block and all this. And the 
my therapist had a really good idea. She said, I think the problem that you're having is that you've taken your hobby, your outlet for your emotions, and you've turned it into a job. Yeah. And because of that, you're sucking all your passion away. And, beca and because all of your, your passion is being sucked away because you're, you're treating it like a job, you're trying to make it, you aren't getting that emotional release from it that you used to. And so what she recommended I do was start a different band that's just for fun, play what you want to play, don't try to make it, don't put any pressure on it. And so I had, I knew that one of the guys in the band had, had been, was really like pop punk. And I was like, you know, I like pop punk. I haven't, uh, I went to, in, 20, in 2018, I went to Warp Tour and was just like, and just kind of fell in love with the genre all over again. And, yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd listened to it a little bit in middle school, kind of had, had it on the back burner for a long time, just kind of fell in love with the genre again. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try to do that. And we, I found a group of people and we started rehearsing in 2020. No. We started rehearsing in 2020 and right about March of 2020, we had about 30 songs down for a cover band, ready to, we were, we were about to book our first show, which was going to be in April and COVID hits. Yeah. And nobody could practice. And so I was really disappointed because I was, I was starting to really enjoy getting to sing. And I was like, in this band, I'm just going to sing, not going to play any instruments. I was going to try to do something different. And um, one of the guys in the band came up with the idea of OK Boomhauer as the name. I thought that was hilarious. So we went with it. But we couldn't do anything with it because of COVID. Now, Bayou Bullets, on the other hand, um, we realized that if we just said, fuck the cities... We could play every small town honky tonk and dive bar from from Houston to Starkville to Mobile and make shit tons of money. Yeah. So that's what we did. We hit every little small town honky tonk all over the Gulf South and you know, starting in fall of twenty twenty, like we we were playing illegal shows. We were playing private parties. We were we we were we were hitting the road and, and doing this stuff in between uh, episodes of American Idol, which they were filming on, 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 the, on Jovan's back porch. Mm -hmm. And we, we were playing shows with yeah. that band. And I found that once I started focusing on writing for that other band and writing pop punk stuff, because suddenly I didn't have a problem writing the other stuff. I didn't have the writers. It, the problem was that I was trying to force myself into one lane when I'm a pretty multifaceted musician person who likes to write a bunch of different shit and by cutting, trying to forcibly cut off that one side of my creativity, it was inhibiting the whole process. Forcing creativity, forcing creativity in t to any degree is gonna, number one, it's gonna pervert whatever you come out with to where it's unrecognizable. It's not gonna be like how you naturally feel because it's, it's, um, it's being evoked by a deadline or, um, you know, your guys are waiting on you depending on the next show or that you, some other deadline. You, you can't force creativity. So in, like you just I, can't do Like it. I mentioned, in at the end of 2019, we were recording an album uh, for, for Bayou Bullets called New Lie. And if you go on that album, you'll hear there's a song. Now, granted, the whole album is a little bit weird because, once again, it's more than a few influences on there. It sound, and we had a bunch of problems with our... Our studio because he wouldn't let us back in to mix it during COVID. 
Uh. So, and then there was some timeline issues due to contracts with Idol. So we had all kinds of problems. The whole, whole release ended up basically getting botched. But um, there's one song on there that sounds immaculate and completely out of place. So we were supposed to record this song with Joven that he wrote called After the Rain, which was this beautiful ballad, uh, beautiful breakup song, just great bluesy ballad. Like, uh, like something that Wilson Pickett would have done. Mm-hmm. Or Otis Redding. But because of his filming, it was his filming schedule, he didn't have time to go in and lay down the tracks. So I was like, well, I've got, a, I've got a ballad we could do. I'll go in there. I can lay down the guitars. All you'll have to do is just do one day on vocals, and we'll do a duet. This song is written as a duet. I'll bring in a female singer. And um, it was supposed to be him and Chloe from the band Alabaster Stag. Okay. Well, his idle schedule changed, and then he couldn't come in to even do that. And so then it was supposed to be a, a, a duet with me and Maria from Rio Rosa, her schedule changed. She couldn't do it. So I ended up going in there and doing it myself. And so there's this song on this Bayou Bullets album, which is mostly very blues rockish. Mm-hmm. It's an emo ballad. It's a pop punk song. And it's called Drown. It's this beautiful, it's this beautiful song. It's actually mixed right, and, but it sounds nothing like the rest of the band. Yeah. Because it was literally just me playing everything. Uh, I'm even doing the leads on it. Like, I'm like... I just went in there and did the whole thing myself. And in, like I said, in 2020, we couldn't practice with that pop punk band. And if I knew, and in 2021, I was getting antsy because I wanted to do something with it because I'd been sitting around my apartment writing stuff. Yeah. And I was like, screw it. I'm going to, I have a little bit of money. I'm doing good in my job. I'm going to go into the studio and I'm going to use that cover band's name to do a solo album. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm going to call it, I'm going to do OK Boomhauer. And if I'd known in 2019 that I was going to do an OK Boomhauer album in 2021, I wouldn't record a Drown. Because Drown was very much so obviously a pop punk song. Or at least a, an emo ballad. Very dashboard confessional. Yeah. Uh, they, I'm trying to think of the right name. Um, I, well, it's, it's beyond me. Um... Taking Back Sunday. That was the band I was looking for. And so I go into the studio with the same engineer, um, but he's going to be doing the mixing instead of sending the mixing off. And I went in there and played every instrument. Uh, he helped. He inputted the, the drum tracks, which I was kind of dictating. And he did all the mixing and the mastering. So it was basically, it was literally just the two of us doing everything. Mm-hmm. And I created a six song, e- a five song EP. No, six Six song EP. And uh, I remember taking it back to the guy. So now in late 2021, we're starting to practice again. I've gotten the dudes and OK Boom and are back together. We're, we're now able to practice. And um, I remember showing them that stuff. And they're like, man, we don't want to play covers. We want to play this. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, are y'all sure? Really? You want... Yeah, we want to play this. They begged me. Because uh, I, I was like, no, I, I thought we were just doing a cover band here, guys. That we were just goofing off. Yeah. They wanted to play that. And so... That's what we did. We played that. We played some covers, and uh, for the last year, we've been we've been gigging out of control. Uh, and as for the other band, Bayou Bullets, we had um, this show out in Starkville, 
Mississippi right at the end of July of 2021 mm-hmm. after a disastrous trip to a studio in July 2021 where basically we spent all this money to record a single and get a music video and got neither. Ouch. Yeah, literally just basically got our money stolen. Um, and we play this show, don't realize that our drummer has COVID. I get COVID and I almost die. Oh man. He was fine. I almost die. Um, and it was literally weeks and months of rehab to, to get back to the point that I could perform or anything like that. Uh, heck it, it took three weeks before I was able to walk more than a block down the street. Really? Yeah. Um, but in that time of working through all that, um, it, we also had that hurricane that hit in August Mm -hmm. and that wiped the calendar for Bayou Bullets away, which provided the opening for a couple of the members who had been, you know, waffling on leaving or not to just say, well, uh, who had been waffling about leaving to decide, you know what? It's not going to be putting them out if I leave now because yeah. there's nothing on the calendar. <clears throat> a lot of abrupt changes came about um, because of the onset of COVID, man. Yeah. It wasn't just So I kind of just focused on the other band. Uh, we, you know, I tried to find some replacement members, which, like I said, they, were, they, they only played, I think, maybe four, five shows in 2022 with uh, Bayou Bullets, which we tried to change the name to the Black Smokes. Um, but like I said, the studio never gave us the track, so we didn't have a single to release, which meant we couldn't film a mu- music video, which meant, you know, yeah, kind of a total botching, like everything else I do. Um, oh, I didn't mention the first EP that we did, was, the release was botched because it was our EP release show was August of 2016. Mm-hmm. It was the Friday of the Great Flood. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> So just the most snake bit organization you can possibly imagine. Yeah. Uh, it, it's taken. It, it's taken literal. F- it's taken literal biblical floods and pestilence and hurricanes yeah. and, to destroy us. And it's <laughs> yeah. Working at the moment. <clears throat> and the call of duty from several different branches of the military. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but in the end, I, I usually keep chugging along. So we've been, but we've been focusing mostly on OK Boomhauer for the last year. Um, we've been, I've, so far we've played shows in New Orleans and Lafayette, the North Shore, Baton Rouge, New Roads. We've got shows coming up in, in uh, Shreveport and Dallas. Mm-hmm. Uh, we played in Mobile. Um, but this, this project for me, this project for me has been, has been really cathartic of being able to, to just be like, okay, I'm going to do this all on my own. I'm going to see what I can come up with without having to listen to anybody and just see what I can do. Mm. And I'm really proud of what happened with those first five songs. And now we've got members of the band, they're coming in here with songs and now we're, I'm able to take, so we have two songs now that we've performed at the last couple shows. One's called Happy Ever After, the other one's called Always Waiting, where one of them was Chance, our rhythm guitarist, came to me, he's like, hey, I got this song, all I need is lyrics. And, you know, I I listened to the song a few times, came up with the lyrics, we recorded them the next week, Uh, two weeks later, it's in the set list at Chelsea's for the first time, and fucking kills. Nice. 
uh, have another one happy ever after. It was kind of the same thing. We, we uh, you know, Daniel had come up with that song a long time ago. He's our lead guitarist. And uh, he's like, man, I just need some lyrics for this. I don't really have a direction for it. Just figure out something. Yeah. And I, I wrote these soul crushingly sad lyrics because it's, you know, an almost happy sounding song. So, of course, that's that soul crushingly sad <laughs> lyrics. And uh, we played in like two weeks later at Brickyard and it was, and it killed. So, um, I'm getting to have a lot of fun getting to, to, to be creative and cause Bayou Bullets was always very collaborative. It was always a democracy and everybody had a, had pretty much equal say. Everybody wrote their own parts kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and okay. Boomhauer's kind of not that way. <laughs> it's a little bit more of my ego getting to, um, be expressed, uh, more so, which can sometimes cause issues, but, uh, I think is has been able to, to have us with this really good group. And then one thing that happened last year, very kind of important thing to happen is um, I go to this show that I'm not the biggest metal fan on the planet, but all my friends are just the most brutal metal heads you can imagine. That's all they care about is the nastiest, brutalist, most incomprehensible metal. Yeah. And me, I'm like, Bro, if they scream the whole time, then all the screams have no meaning. Yeah. It's like, I'm like, bro, just, just, I, it's just, it's noise. And you, you hit each other and I don't, I don't. <laughs> so, uh, I go, I go to this show though, because I just, I knew all my friends were going to be there and it's Kublai Khan and Terror mm-hmm. at, 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 um, that, at Chelsea's and I, I'm having a great time. I get hit in the face so hard in the pit that I think I have a concussion. You know, good, good, only good times. Yeah. But I run into in the parking lot um, a mutual music acquaintance of mine who played, uh, who I'd played shows with, and he's there with uh, this girl who I'd seen there, and I end up talking to her, and we end up going next door to Brickyard where they're doing karaoke, and I get to hear her sing, and she, I, I think she sang. Uh, Alanis Morissette, you ought to know. And I was just like, holy crap. This girl's got an incredible voice. And uh, so I asked her, hey, you know, we don't have a screamer in this band. We need one. Would you like to join? And she's like, well, you know, I'm working on my own stuff. I'll join as a part-time member. I'll do the cover shows. But once my original stuff drops, I want to mostly focus on that. But I'll, I'll do part-time. I was yeah. like, I can live with that, you know, because mostly I needed the help for the cover shows, with for the shows that were an hour and a half and longer. I, I needed somebody to give me a little break because I was, uh, I was really concerned when I first started singing in January that my voice wasn't going to be there. Well, I was going to ask what you were doing mainly in this band. Were you volleying back and forth between vocals and guitar? I mean, how did things change once you kind of revisited OK Boomhauer? Well, OK Boomhauer, I was not playing any guitar. I was only singing. That's would, what you originally intended, but what was it now? That, I was still only singing. We still okay. had the two guitarists. Okay. So I was, I, I didn't have to worry about that, but I was just worried about my, um, my lung capacity not being there. Because I remember the first few practices, you know, I, we, we didn't have that many songs we were rehearsing. And I, was, I was running out of air. I was having a lot of problems. I, even, into, even into February of 2022, I was still really struggling. Yeah. And so um, while I was, had, was doing better at this point in May, I was still a little bit worried. I was like, you know, I, I really probably should bring in somebody else who can sing. And running into her was just a great coincidence. And 
so she ends up joining us and she sings a bunch of shows with us um mostly doing covers and she ended up doing that duet and drown that i always wanted to do and that song ended up speaking to her and so we're actually going to go in the studio in a few weeks and she's going to put down her vocals on drown and we're going to re-release it as an okay boomhauer song cool and uh, her project is called gut zombie which she just dropped her track in november so she was kind of semi full-time for a few months there until her track dropped but uh together we took this trip to riot fest in chicago back in september mm -hmm. and you know i'd said in warp to when i went to warp tour it kind of reawoke you know that that fandom of of some of these bands sure i got to go to warp tour and i saw my chemical romance the menzingers yellow card uh, and a bunch of bands I'd never even heard of, like Save Face and Hot Mulligan and uh, Boston Manor. And it was just this incredible experience getting to do that. I mean, we almost died a few times, but it was a really fun time. That's a necessary element of a fun time, I think. Sometimes. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just uh, being stuck in a car. <clears throat> Your life flashing before you. <laughs> being stuck in a car you know, for a week with you know somebody sure. that you've known for just a few months. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Uh, but... I came back with like a whole new appreciation for all these different bands and all this inspiration of stuff that I could incorporate, stuff that I could, I was watching all of the, the front men of how they controlled the crowd. I was listening to different songs that, that people were playing to try to, to try to figure out these different chord progressions they were doing that I hadn't Absolutely. heard before. I was, uh, I was studying even little things like how the videographer was cutting things together. They're just trying to find anything and everything that I could, that I could take with me and incorporate into what I was doing. There's so much. Yeah, it was overwhelming. But, uh, and I came back with this whole you know, extra fire because I just remember in the middle of the afternoon, and I think the second day we were there, there was this band that played on one of the smaller stages. Now granted, it's the same stage Guar played on, the next day mm -hmm. so not a tiny stage but I, I just i went and saw this band and they were just called save face and they were absolutely incredible it, it was it was like if my chemical romance was just a little bit less gay just mm -hmm. a little bit less over the top theatrical but it was just fantastic and i was like man i've never heard of this band before they're playing at this festival i wonder what the following's like and i pull it up and i pull it up on my phone i'm like they've got six thousand facebook followers yeah They've got 10,000 on Instagram. That's doable. Yeah. That's attainable. I mean, we don't, we haven't attained anywhere near, but that's, that seems doable. That seems possible. We could, we could do this. And so the guys in my band had a kind of come to Jesus meeting with me at the end of September where they're like, cause I tried to film a music video with no money. Uh, thinking that they had no money to contribute and um, it was a disaster. It was a complete waste of money. Granted, it was a waste of a hundred dollars. Okay. Well, it wasn't catastrophic, but right, it was, it was a waste of a, it was a waste bucks. of a day. It was yeah. a waste of a day. Okay. Um, but uh, we, we lost we lost almost no money on it. But I they they thought I was going to be doing it all professional. I was like, uh, guys, I only have a hundred dollars here. I can't do anything professional. I need twelve hundred. Sure. You know, but uh, I, apparently some of them actually did have some money to contribute that we could have done it, but I didn't know that. Bad communication on my part. We had this kind of sit down, come to Jesus meeting about how I needed to take things more seriously, how I needed to not treat this project as a redheaded stepchild or as a back burner or as something just to do for fun that the guys in the band really do care about it. 
that they're putting in the time on their own time and mm-hmm. that I need to start, you know, this isn't just something to goof off with. You, you've got something here. Success is attainable, but you need to work for it. Sure. And so I remembered we did this before a gig at Battlefield Bar in Chalmette. I don't know if you've ever been there. No, I have not. Uh, so it's this really great bar with fantastic craft beer selection, a big stage, a great sound system, and no audience. Really? I've heard from everybody that's played there that nobody wants to drive out the Chalmette. I mean, they got this great bar there, and they book good bands, but nobody ever comes. Hmm. It's really sad. So we're playing for literally nobody but the bands and the bartenders, basically. Yeah. And I'm in, I'm in this terrible mood because basically I just had every member of my band give me an intervention and say all the things they don't like about me, about what I'm doing. And you know I'm taking what, though, it a little personal. Hold on a second. I wanted to say something about that because I don't feel like that was all bad. I don't, I don't think it could have felt like oh. all bad either because some of the reasons for them saying those things to you was because they respected your work that you brought into yeah, it Yeah, I appreciated you know? that the next day. Yeah, but in a, the moment, a hard pill to swallow. in the moment, it all felt like personal attacks. Now, like I said, it, it, in in the moment, it, I was taking it very personally in a negative way. And how many people in the band at this time? How many uh, people for the for this moment? Six, because okay, Ashton so was with us. So you got all from all ends, or yeah, zeroing in on you all at a size. Yeah, I so, can see how you might take that. You know, I, you in, know in the moment, pose, in the moment, know? I took that. Very negatively. Yeah. Uh, obviously, but by the next day, it was all. It was like, okay, this is all just constructive criticism. I'm, you know, I'm good. But in the moment, an hour before we take the stage, it was not the mindset <laughs> not I was in. <laughs> yeah. Not ideal. And so I just had this. Fuck them. Fuck them. I'm yeah. Gonna, I'm gonna show them who's who's the one putting in the work in this band. Yeah. I got up there and sang the best goddamn set of my fucking life. With a fire under your ass, huh? In front of <laughs> nobody! <laughs> and I just remember, like, as I'm, as I'm going off in this, uh, I, the members of my band just constantly looking, I'm like, what the fuck? Just like, <laughs> this is awesome. Where did this come from? Nice. And they're like, bro, you need to do that every show. I'm like, trying to do it every show. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I just remember telling them, like, you know, if you want me to take this seriously, you better know what you're asking for. Because yeah. I took that other band seriously, and it wasn't very fun. Uh, you know, eh, you learned a lesson, man. And I think it was multifaceted, and it was a valuable one. And I don't think you'll ever do that to yourself again. So maybe you needed to suffer a bit oh, I to, to come to the realizations that you did. Absolutely. Um, but so I, I kind of since then I've stepped things up. I've been trying to put together. Uh, be a lot more active on the socials. I've been just knocking on doors. Uh, for bars, I have been super aggressive uh, on Instagram, reaching out to bands, and on Facebook, reaching out to these uh, DIY tour groups and, and whatnot to, to help us network with bands all over the country. I've been super active on Reddit, just you know, giving my music to anyone and anyone that might that it might even be remotely helpful to have listened to it. Granted, still doing this with no money to yeah. support it but um, a lot of that's entirely possible yeah it's just a hundred to one you know for every yeah. hundred you get one so i'm you know and that way i've been suddenly I'm, I'm getting offers for shows all over the place and we're starting to get uh we end up getting onto a show at chelsea's when a, when a band dropped and going out there and just it was just perfect. I mean, huge crowd into it, loving every minute of it. 
And I like was, that venue. I just went there this past Friday, and I feel like it's a it's a room that a band that's been doing it for a little bit can fill. Yeah. It's not too too much of a challenge to fill, but it can hold a sizable crowd if that yeah. makes sense. Exactly. And man, I you know I was so scared that we'd play that show, and that no one would go. And then the owner that the owner of that venue would be like, "Yep, never book that band again." But sure enough, there's this big crowd, and I recognize a lot of the people in it. And I'm like, "Oh my gosh, they all came!" And the crowd had a great time, and we were we were playing songs that we never played before, and it was it was just it was incredible. We'll be right back after these messages. Hey, what's up, everybody? Normally, in the middle of podcasts, they give you a bunch of advertisements. But on the NewOrleansMusicians.com podcast, we like to shout out our members. Today, I've got for you a band by the name of Parallel Threads. Parallel Threads is an exciting new jazz funk collaboration out of New Orleans, fusing classic vibes with eclectic international influences. They just began in uh, 2022. The band features saxophonist Uliad Locken from uh, the Lily Lewis Project, Noise Water, and uh, Will Vance and the Kinfolk. Guitarist Jake Kelston from Blakey's Brew, bassist Joey Laborde from Big Pocket, and Eric Brown on drums from The Medians, Dharma Crew, and Legal Dread. The sax player, Uli, is a NewOrleansMusicians.com site member and has been featured in a previous podcast episode titled by his name. This guy is an interesting character. He's originally from Norway and is now an extremely active musician in the New Orleans music scene, playing in several bands. For him, COVID gave birth to his first solo album titled The Home Office Sessions. You can learn about that and more in his episode. As for Parallel Threads, they have a debut EP coming this spring of 2023, which I'm definitely looking forward to. And here's an example of their work. Check it out. 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 back to our show um i wanted to ask you because you'd mentioned it earlier um with bayou bullets you mentioned playing sets that were an hour and a half long oh we played sets that were three and a half hours long now we played sex one time we played a set that was six hours long being originally cover or just mostly cover so Bayou Bullets, we did a little bit of both. We started off as an original band. Um, when Joven joined, we realized that we could make a lot of money doing covers and get into a lot of venues doing covers. Okay. So then it went to sort of a 50-50, yeah, or uh, where, okay, we'll do an original show at the Varsity when we're opening up for somebody good, or at the House of Blues. Like, at the House of Blues, we got to open up for Adelita's Way one time, mm-hmm. which was really cool. Um, but then we can also go to... Uh, the Whiskey Cowboy in Metairie and play a three-hour cover show and make 900 bucks that night. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Was the inclusion of covers giving you the ability to play extended sets? Yes. Could you, on originals, how much material are we talking? Well, by the end... Okay. Prob- okay, by the end of 2021, 
we probably had 90 to 90 minutes to 120 minutes worth of originals in Bayou Bullets. We, we could, we could okay. play originals all day. We got no shortage of material. Um, in OK Boom Hour, we now have almost an hour, not quite an hour worth of originals. Yeah, but uh, that are fairly rehearsed. new. I mean, you, what was the lifespan of Bayou Bullets? Started in 2015 and technically ongoing, but we haven't played a show since October. Okay. Of last year, so October 2022 is the most recent show that we've played. Okay, so gig in nine years, or uh, um, we've we've got we've probably now got a little over two hours worth of originals for Boom Hour. For uh, well, for uh, Bayou Bullets, oh, and a little Bullets. and just under an hour for Boom Hour. Okay. Now, granted, I, some of those songs <clears throat> are shared. Yeah. So, but, so in the lifespan of um, Bayou Bullets. Um, you were volleying back and forth between the two. In other words, there was no push. Because sometimes bands start off as cover bands and then transition into the other. So the and push this, Sometimes covers, there are bands that volley in between the two. COVID was the push to covers. Because, you know, the, the demand for original music yeah. is at venues in a city where there's touring original bands coming through. Sure. COVID, none of that was happening anymore. Yeah. And the cities all had really, really extensive lockdowns yep so you couldn't play in the cities live music was banned in the cities mm -hmm. actually technically it was banned everywhere else but it wasn't enforced so the places that were demanding music were small town bars on the water or just these little honky tonks in the middle of nowhere in the middle of a you know sugarcane field right they were wanted covers and they're paying good money for them yeah well covers is a no-brainer for somebody that wants to sell drinks Right, you know, yeah. and uh, we'd work in a few of our originals in these sets. It's not like we weren't playing any originals, um, but we were, we were playing three-hour cover shows, and we'd probably play in a night where we did three three hours of the covers. Probably play, you know, about thirty-three total songs, maybe ten originals in there. So you know, we were still playing a good bit of our original music. Yeah, um, but we did that because. That was how we could make money, and we, we, we did. We were doing pretty well. Yeah. Um, by, by the time that, when that hurricane hit, it wiped away, four, in COVID, we wiped away four shows, each of which were paying more than $900 a show, one of which was going to be paying $1,600. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> that was devastating. We yeah. have not made anywhere near close to that money since, which was very devastating. Sure. Mostly that was because the, the people that we brought in to try to replace... The two that had left after that just didn't have the time outside of band practice to get really tight, and so we just never quite comfortable booking the high-paid shows because we didn't want to. We didn't want to book a high-paid show and then not be worth that high pay. You're burning it. You're burning the the, the opportunity, the bridge, essentially. Right. No. So no, no rebooking. I was, I was only taking <clears throat> low-risk stuff. That's smart. So that way, because I was just weren't comfortable with that lineup, and so that that one in October was the closest thing that we had booked. To something that was a little bit higher risk mm -hmm. because we knew the bands that we were playing with they were from out of town they were really good kind of regional bands and um it was not a good show and that's when we're like okay yeah this lineup doesn't work <laughs> and that was the last for bayou bullets that was the last yeah gotcha. uh at that we were calling it the blacksmiths but that was the last for bayou bullets I, we'll be back out there as soon as i get another drummer because we brought in a different bassist who's really good but like i said we just, i'm just trying to find a drummer and Drummers are very much so in short supply in South Louisiana right now. Let me ask you, what 
what kept you in the seat with that band after going through therapy and realizing that it was the source of a lot of your stress and depression? Because for me, number one, during COVID, I got to write, when we weren't gigging as much for the first few months, I got to write some really awesome songs and I wanted to play them. Reason number two is that, uh, you know, one thing that you're never supposed to do as a person is allow sunk cost to factor into your decision making. And okay. I was doing that. Yeah. Um, in sunk, by sunk cost, you mean personal investment? Yeah. Okay. And so, for example, in the year 2019, we had played uh, a Battle of the Bands in Lafayette, Louisiana, where we placed second. And I was, and as a result of that, we got some shows, and I was really excited. And right at the same time that we did that, I was offered a job um, out of state in Arizona, where I was going to be working for this company that builds and maintains the lodges for the United States National Park Service. Okay. So I was going to be living at the Grand Canyon. Now, it didn't pay very much, but that's a really cool job. <laughs> yeah. And I, when we won that battle of the bands, I thought we were about to make it. Mm -hmm. So I turned that job down. Like literally the next day our drummer quit. Yeah. It's, it's just been that kind of ride, man. Every time it looks like something great's about, to, like we, we played this show at the Varsity February of 2020. It was a sellout. It was full, and I remember we were playing. We were playing "Burn It Down," and I heard the crowd sing the words I wrote, sing it back to us. Yeah, did every nerve in your body stand on end? It was incredible. <laughs> it was better than sex. It was one of the best yeah. things I've ever experienced yeah. in my life. When I when I when I heard when I heard them singing it back, I was like, Oh my god! Yeah. <sighs> did you look to see if your feet were still touching the stage? <laughs> yeah. Which they usually aren't. Let's be yeah. honest. Uh, yeah. I, I dance. I move around a lot. I'm very I'm very uh, um, very animated on stage. It was I was just blown away. Yeah. And so I, I and when Joven made it on Idol, I was just like, Holy shit! You know, here we go again. And then pandemic you know, shut everything down. Like, he was supposed to get to do this tour and all this stuff. I was supposed to actually go out to L.A. with him. Yeah, I meant to mention that to you because I saw that too and I read about it. Um, uh, such to where COVID affected contestants' abilities to really not just fairly compete, but compete to their full capacity. Well, he was the only person in the top 10 that had stage experience. He was the only but he one... he was forced to compete not on with, stage With every no time. audience. Yeah. He was the only one that had experience working an audience. Yeah. He had been working an audience for years. I had, me and him, we had worked on it for years to make him into this great frontman. When he started with Bayou Bullets, he was not. He was, he was very timid. He was very shy. He had stage fright. He had trouble remembering the lyrics. And we had worked for years to, because, uh, and, until, you know, he was this fantastic frontman. He was really coming into his own, before, you know, in the few months before Idol. Yeah. And, um, Dude had made himself into a, a rock star, and COVID hits, and instead of singing in front of a crowd of a thousand people in a packed auditorium, he's singing on his back porch in front of me and like a dozen of his cousins. Sure, it's just not the same. No, and it it will it will not evoke from you the same 
exactly. mannerisms and quality. I I one hundred percent believe that he would have won with not for COVID. That he was he was going to win that contest of not for COVID. Yeah. I one hundred percent believe it. I was a believer in him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember um, sitting with him about a week before his audition because we were going to go audition together, and he was he was running through all these different songs trying to figure out what he wanted to do. And I was like, hey, man, I used this song the year before. And I ended up making it through a couple rounds. I didn't get to the TV judges or anything like that. But you should try this one. And it was, it was Whip and Post by the Allman Brothers. And he ends up doing it. Nice. Yeah. I did see. That's one of the videos that I saw. Yeah. Yeah. We got a lot of flack, though, because our drummer never played that song right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> to yeah. this day, he won't play it. Now, when we, uh, in last year, in 2022... The drummer we had did play that song right. He yeah. was very good on that song. We worked on it a long time. But we, uh, I remember one time, we, me and Tanner, uh, he's the drummer in OK Boomhauer as well, but he was the drummer in, in Bullets before. Um, we, we went to sit in with a cover band that he's friends with down in, in Mattery. And he sits on there and we're like, let's do, you know, let's do Women Pills. Let's try it out. And the other members of the band that we were sitting in with were like, fuck's he playing (laughs) that's not how that song goes oh i got you yeah (laughs) that is not the drum fill for that part of the song calling the kettle black though because when you were talking about playing trumpet before you said you're supposed to play what's on the page but i never did exactly (laughs) exactly so which which puts me in an awkward situation now because i would mention how they wanted me to take things seriously i started being like well we're gonna take things seriously i need y'all to play what's i need y'all to play what's on the record yeah. And so for months, I'd let them get by playing something that was okay. And I, uh, and the main one that this really applied to was my bassist uh, in OK Boomhauer because he he kept telling me that he was bored playing what he was playing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, bro, what are you bored about? You're not even playing my parts. And he's like, well, I don't like just sticking on the root all the time. I'm like, yeah, because you're not supposed to. That's not what's... And he, I was like, dude, go back and listen to the record. Dude, the, the bass, I don't know if you've heard it yet. The bass is everywhere. Like, that's what I, that was what I was most proud of, I, uh, was, was all these bass parts that I put on there, because I'm not usually playing bass. And um, he goes back and he listens to it, and he's just like, bro, what the fuck were you doing? Like, what, what were you on? This is crazy. This is so... I was like... How did it? How did it not occur to him up until that point? I don't, I don't understand. I don't know. Huh. I don't know. Yeah. I was just. Um, we had gone through after COVID. Uh, the, the original basis we had before COVID uh, wasn't available after because I mean it had been almost two years. Yeah. Um, so we had gone through a couple different people that we tried to find somebody to be the basis. He ended up being the last one standing about like two weeks before our first show. So it was kind of, he was always kind of in a scramble okay. to try to get everything down. Yeah. So I wasn't holding him to too high of a standard. I just, it was basically don't play wrong notes, not don't play the, be- not play the best note. Mm-hmm. It was always don't play wrong notes. And he was very good at not playing wrong notes. Yeah. But when I was, when I was starting to take things seriously, I wanted to go from not playing wrong notes to playing the best notes. Exactly like they're originally, originally written. As close to it, uh, I, I, want, I was like, well, here's what I want you to do. Since you've never played my parts before and you're bored with the parts that you've been playing, learn mine. And if you can get those down then, then, and, and you're still bored, then I'll let you, you know, come up with whatever you want. Yeah. Which I thought was fair. Yeah. And uh, so we've been, it's, it's been a struggle the last few weeks trying to, trying, uh, trying to work with him to really 
get that better. He, that Chelsea show was his best show so far. He he really had uh, he really I could see that he'd worked on them and and had started playing at least some of them really really close to the record. That's good. Is it important for you because you you kind of mentioned it's synonymous with um, getting serious? Is it important for you doing a cover to play it exactly like it was originally played? In my opinion, there's two different ways to do it. I think you either have to go exactly like the record, mm-hmm. or you have to do it completely different in your own style. Your own style. And it can't, you can't be sorta. You can't be sorta close. You've either got, it's either gotta be obviously different, or it's gotta be identical. And so for me, when I did this album, one of the, thing, one of the things I did was I wanted to do a couple different covers in my own style. Now I ran out of money, so I did half the album that I wanted to do originally. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so one of the things that was, you know, the, the title of the album is An American Alligator in Asbury Park. You know, it was supposed to be, because oh, one of my friends said, you can't keep putting Bruce Springsteen style lyrics over pop punk music. Yeah. And I was like, Okay, I'm just going to lean into that bit. bit. You know, I'm just going to do exactly that and do even more of it. <laughs> I think that's what bandmates do to each other. Yeah. Just poke the bear until it. Screams, I was like, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do a song about a boardwalk and a Ferris wheel. Yeah. That's funny. unfortunately the Ferris wheel song got cut. But I was also going to do a cover of uh, "Blinded by the Light," which mm. was originally a Springsteen song off of uh, "Greetings from Asbury Park." It was off of his first album. But uh, the one cover did make it, which was. Colin Baton Rouge by Garth Brooks. Because I had, for years, in open mics, I, I had started doing open mic. The first open mic I did was in 2010. It's the first time I ever played a guitar and sang in front of people at the same time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was too nervous to do it anywhere near home. So I did while I was on vacation in Virginia, way away. Uh, <laughs> you and left the town to do your dirt. <laughs> I did. And uh, then the next one I did, I think, was in 2012 when I was in Arkansas. For an LSU football game, I ducked into a little bar in Fort Smith where the where the band was staying, and and uh, did an open mic that just happened to be going on that night uh, on Thanksgiving night. They had an open mic at a bar on Thanksgiving. That's commitment. That's packed. people who really don't want to go home to their wives. Must and have families. been packed. No, I'm just kidding. It's actually pretty. Yeah, not Come bad. On. Not bad. <laughs> it was the, a lot of bars open on Thanksgiving in this little town. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I went in there just to watch some football and you know not stay in my hotel room, so I had a good time. So, uh, getting that practice, doing things away from home, that was, I think that might have been the first night I played one of my original songs, to be honest. But I had started, I, one of the songs that a lot of times do with these open mics was Colin Baton Rouge. And I would speed it up. I have no idea what's happening in there. Um, I, one of the songs I do a lot of times in these acoustic settings is Colin Baton Rouge. And I do it really fast, like a punk song, because I thought this song make so much sense to the punk song and so i finally got to record it as a punk song yeah and, you know we, we threw in those little metal elements little breakdowns and stuff and it was two like a two minute track of awesome <laughs> i think it's a it's a cool way to present something through a different set of lenses that people may or may not already be familiar with and if they aren't it doesn't matter because it's something new and if they are then it's a new perspective exactly know? yeah and the key is just to i wanted to show that i could take something because I'd been in a cover band basically at this point for two years. I mean, we've been playing covers longer than that, but we had been almost exclusively playing covers for two years at that point. And I wanted to do, I wanted to just kind of not quite give a finger to being a cover band, but just a subtle jab at it. You know? Sure. 
So I got to I got to take a song that's a classic South Louisiana staple that pretty much every cover band is forced to play at some point mm-hmm. and and make it my own. And the other reason I chose it was because Garth Brooks isn't on Spotify. And so if you actually go on Spotify and look up Colin Baton Rouge, it's one of the first ones that comes up. So I was hoping maybe I'd get some accidental plays that way. Strategic. Yeah. Yes. Very Strategery. good. Yeah. Well, that's cool, man. Um, what's What do you have your eyes on uh, for the future, the near future with OK Boomhauer? You already said that you've got shows lined up, so I mean, that's not it. What's the, the, the next plateau? You know? So the, there's a few things that are coming up for the future. So num- future number one. Uh, is on March the 18th. We're going to be playing a show at 524 in Baton Rouge, and one of the one of the bands that we're going to be playing with is the band is Gut Zombie, who mm. is like I mentioned, that's Ashen's band that she started up. I'll be playing bass in that one as well, and so we're going to be basically launching her project while also having a show for us. And before we go off on our little miniature tour, I guess you could say. But um, for me, the target that we have, because I'm currently writing like two albums in advance at this point. I've already gotten all the material written for the next album. I'm writing the material for two albums from now. Because you set out to, to, to do that or it just because, it happened? Because um, I get inspired. I'll, okay. I, I get inspired by what I hear and I, I want to make more stuff and I can't not For the right music. reasons. I can't, I can't not make music. It just, I, I have to. Yeah. Um, but we've got some, so we're going to the studio, we're going to have another track, another track to release later this year, probably in the spring. Uh, then I've got another track that I want to get us in the studio so that we'll have a, a, another track to release by the end of the year. And, uh, I'm working with a, a new video editor who's going to be starting up our TikTok, and we're going to try to boost our following that way and and start doing targeted ads, start actually investing a little bit and growing the following. Um, And then the next thing is that I have targeted a list of cities that are all between eight and 12 hours away from here to start building that network of cities that we can tour to, to get to the cities that really give a shit about this music. Yeah. So what I found in my studies of of bands is that there is a belt of cities in the far north of this country that love this genre music show up for this genre music and i've got to find a way to get our music to them which is specifically what pop punk and emo for okay, okay boomhauer okay it's um now as soon as i can find a drummer black smokes can go on tour starting next summer we wanted to tour last summer but we just i just didn't feel like we were ready for it uh because joven's got a following of like he's got a very large following himself he's we we can we can get out there with a group and and burn down any venue in this country we'll be we'll sure. be good that's a it's a good band um but okay boomhauer i wanted to form this network of venues because if we want to play in chicago or minneapolis or cincinnati cleveland uh new york new jersey philly boston we've got to make sure that we can play and get crowds in Dallas, and St. Louis, and Memphis, and Nashville, and Atlanta, because you can't get to those other cities unless you're able to actually physically get out of the South. So you've got to have shows along the way. Yeah. I so get it. Um, this year, my goal was to hit 
as many of these these uh, cities that with between eight and twelve hour drives as we can. So that way, in two thousand and twenty four, by then we'll be able to really do real tours. And the other thing that I wanted to do is I wanted to grow our following enough to by the end of this year be able to possibly get assigned to some kind of maybe not a record label but maybe a, a management deal or something like that to try to get us to that next tier of because uh, I feel like the kind of music we're playing it's niche but it's a fairly decent size niche it's uh, a niche that is narrow but deep um, I remember last summer I went to a music conference and one of the A&R guys had said one of the you know some people I always try to push for mass appeal but mass appeal means mass competition not only that i mean you can dilute the strength of uh, the particular vein of music that you're writing in particularly yeah exactly so you can dilute all of that and if you're trying to be all things to all people you can end up being nothing to everybody quickly and so he was saying one of the best things you can do if you're a band find a small niche and dominate it Find a narrow but deep genre, and be th- and climb yourself to the top of that hill. And so when I when I was doing research on these kind of late two thousands, I guess you could call it mall emo bands. God, there's really not that many of them. What is a mall emo band? Something that you would hear that you would have heard in two thousand seven, walking into a hot topic. Hot topic. Okay. So My Chemical Romance, Fallout Boy. Of uh, four years strong, the Wonder Years, Taking Back Sunday, and you're saying that this doesn't exist anymore. It does, and there's a lot of fans of it. And the big bands that are touring are getting huge crowds, sellout crowds, hundred thousand seat, hundred thousand people at Riot Fest. The majors from that genre 000, when it was birthed, yeah, I guess you would say, okay. two hundred thousand people at When We Were Young Fest. They're getting massive crowds right now, thanks to MGK and the emo rappers. This, this genre is, has not been more relevant, is, is having so much relevancy right now in mainstream com- that it hasn't had since 2009. Because it's crossover friendly? Is that what it you're is. saying? It okay. is. It's very crossover friendly. The, and uh, it's, it's got just enough of an edge to it that it's still appealable to people in the mainstream, but mm-hmm. has, has, that's not doesn't drive away and just enough edge to it that people still think it's cool and fun. Sure. I mean, obviously the metal purists are always going to look down on it, but they look down on themselves as well. That's purists kind of what they do. look down on everything. Yeah, it's their job. <laughs> but, but I was just like, you know what? It's not a genre that anybody takes seriously. I mean, even Limp Biscuit is having a moment right now. Sure. Fred Durst is selling out arenas right now. Yeah. Paramore is selling out arenas. And he's owning the dad vibe. <laughs> he is. He is. If you he know? can do it, I can do it. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, well, you know what? When I was looking at the new bands that are coming up, you know, I was like, I'm sure Dallas, Texas must have a whole bunch of these bands. Dallas, big metro area, you know? Millions mm-hmm. and millions of people. I looked it up. You know how many I found? Three. Really? All of Dallas. What about um, I looked up, you know, San Antonio. I looked up San Antonio. There was one. That's ridiculous. I look up the Louis- what are your what are your metrics based on saying that there's one like what one band that even remotely sort of sounds like us. Okay. Even rem- that that it, so I found I find a lot of these classic style punk bands that sound like you know really early Green Day or Black Flag. Sure. But I don't find anybody that sounds like Mayday Parade. I don't find anybody that sounds like um, American Idiot era Blank, uh, Green Day or. Um, 
you know, those, or even Yellow Card or any of those bands. Uh, yeah. The local bands don't do it. And you know why? Because hi-fi music is hard to make. Is it? Yeah, it's hard to do. It's so much easy. You can hide mistakes in lo-fi. And that's why so many local bands, I feel like, are lo-fi. It's one of the reasons why uh, we weren't lo-fi and Bayou Bullets. We were trying to do something. We were trying to sound like a really uh, modern and powerful, like of a 70s rock band just yeah. went into the studio today. Sure. That's what we want to sound like. Yeah. We want to sound like if Zeppelin had modern equipment. But you know what's really interesting to me? It occurs to me, I love classic cars. And after 20 years, it becomes a classic car. Yeah. And um, vintage is something that can become nouveau for some reason. That things work in 20-year cycles. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. what you're looking at is about a 20-year cycle of highlighting a genre of music. Exactly. You know? And so I was thinking, hey, man, the wave is now. These bands are starting to blow up. They're, they're getting crossover appeal. It's actually way bigger in Europe than it is here and way bigger in Japan actually never left in Japan so I was just like you know what this this genre we don't have to be that much better than that many bands to go from a local band here in Baton Rouge to being a national touring act I, I mean I, I looked up this one band uh, that we might end up playing a show with in March as well they're playing South by Southwest they have opened for the Menzingers. Mm -hmm. They have opened for Sincere Engineer, which are both touring bands. Their following is like less than 2,000 people on Instagram. I'm like, bro, these, these bands aren't that much bigger than us. Right. We don't have to be much bigger than we are to be taken a lot more seriously than we are. Uh, you know... I really feel like people place too much in metrics and some have gone on to call them vanity metrics because they kind of, their only relevance is in appearance, in vanity. And a lot of times in social media, that's highlighted, praised, you know, it makes people have an impression of someone right. or of some entity. Uh, oh, he's got the blue check. He must be, you know. You understand. Right. The fuck, problem is fuck that's all, all of that. I think what I'm saying, though, I think that you just have to have a certain number of uh, any few elements which we could sit down and hash out, but crossover appeal is one of them. Original material is another one of them. Niche um, is good for business, is good for bands. You know, the you know several elements that you're naming that are uh, ne necessary to be the launch pad. Do you know what I'm saying? Exactly. For me, the metrics are just because I know that that's what the venues are looking at. It's a quick way that's to, what the to touring, judge. That's sure. what the touring managers are looking at. Yeah. That's what a lot of the the people that we need to impress to get those shows are looking at. It, it's a prerequisite in that in that life, right? Which is and so odd. I think we've got the we've we've got the talent, or at least we've got the, we've got the songs. We've got I think we've got the marketing gimmicks. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, selling instead of selling CDs, we're selling pocket sand. Mm, okay. Uh, we've we've got the goofy shirts that I'm sure will eventually get us a cease and desist, which I will absolutely market the shit out of. I will definitely wear that as a badge of honor. If I it will does. use. A, I will. I will <laughs> spread the news that we have been sued by Mike Judge to every media outlet in the country. Yep. And use that. Frame, I would, I would, frame the cease and desist uh, letter. My, my, what I would do is I would try to parlay that and say, yeah, sure, we'll cease and desist if you let us record the new theme song. 
I don't know if that's going to work. Probably but I would won't. Definitely reprint and sell the cease and desist letter. Oh, I would hundred percent. We put it on a T-shirt. <laughs> Give it away. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, but yeah, so I, you know, I, I think we've we've got a, an ear for the we've got an eye for the marketing side of it. We we we're all really good musicians that are veterans that have played in a lot of different bands, and I think we've got our heads on straight as far as what we need to do to get to that next level. And so now that we've figured out, okay, this is our identity. This is how we this is how we perform at shows. This mm-hmm. is how we put together our set lists. Everything's this, these in are the, sync now. These yeah. are the songs that really work. These are the songs that don't. These are the songs that work in this part of the set versus this part of the set. Uh, I think we're still figuring out our gear a little bit, but I think we're we're ready to start really taking that next step to building this following from okay, we're just kind of experimenting around to figure out if we have something to okay, I think we've got something. Let now we can invest and and start really blowing this up and, and something because this is this is a genre that we're all passionate about sure it's something that uh for me it's it's very fun because um i've always been somebody who was both incredibly optimistic about the future and also oftentimes very sad about the current state of where i am i was somebody who always had this very deep and powerful self-loathing that meant that I wasn't generating love for myself or esteem for myself that I had to have it from elsewhere. Sure. And this the genre of pop punk is one where you have music that sounds really happy and fun that people can dance to and people can smile and they can jump up and down. And lyrics are oftentimes really, really sad. Yeah. So you can, in, in blues, in those blues rock band, man, I wasn't writing for me to sing stuff. I was writing for Jovan to sing stuff. That's a six foot something tall, jacked black dude with with dreads that just drips swag everywhere he goes. That's a sure. dude's fucking. You know, he's, he's a like, great he's like, voice, man. He's like Lenny Kravitz. He walks in a room. He's, he's, he's a rock star. You can see his Ari sex on a stick. All the girls, you know, wind up for him. I remember watching him literally push girls away on the dance floor. Nope, nope, can't can't do that with you tonight. No, nope, can't do it. Um. And so writing for him was a very different challenge. Yeah. Me being someone who never had that, that feeling of, I can just walk into a bar, that's the girl I want, I'm taking that one home, I've got her. Yeah, but you see this, this southern blues, uh, soul and R&B um, genre that you were writing for, uh, its building blocks are familiar um, normative institutions i guess you would yeah. say you know god is good church school and the local dance and all these yeah. hometown elements whereas post pop uh i mean um pop punk is i hate my pop, hometown <laughs> well pop punk <laughs> pop punk kind of uh lies on a on a sharp sarcastic edge yes do you know what i'm saying very and much so any anybody that would call themselves punk um had better not be um just going along with the flow of everything around them because it's not what the soul of punk is. Exactly. And so I think they're two very different expressions. I don't know of self because I'm not sure yeah. if that was you or oh, him that you were writing for. a little for, bit of both. But, you know, maybe through all of these trials that you've been um, and, and all of the hands that you've been dealt, it's more appropriate for your inner voice to be um, punk than it is to be soul and R&B. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. No, I, I 100% get what you're saying. And so for me, the challenge a lot of times in, in Buy You Bullets was I don't feel cool 
how do I write for the coolest motherfucker I've ever known? Yeah. How do I write a song that makes sense coming out of the, the, the mouth of the coolest motherfucker I've ever known? And versus, because uh, versus how do I, because before that I was just writing for me. Like, and for me, it'd be really weird for me to go up and up there and sing a song but how I'm the coolest motherfucker there is. Yeah. Because I know that's not true. The audience knows that's not true. It's like when it's like when somebody it's like when you see a country singer who clearly didn't write their song going up there and singing about how in his brand brand new red Chevy truck she just slides on over. They haven't made bench seats that where you can slide on over since 1993. Like that's not something the trucks have anymore. You clearly didn't write this song it's Dude. not act it's not truth to you i feel like i feel like posturing at, at, at any rate soul is a soulless it's a soul killer exactly. social posturing is a soul killer they do it in music all the time in music videos and they try to be who they aren't and it just doesn't feel right you don't right. even have to you don't even have to ingest it verbatim you yeah. can, you there's something in you that knows that person's full of shit. Old country's, <laughs> old, you know, country music is great when it's four chords and the truth. The same thing is true for pretty much any music. Blues is great when it's three chords and the truth. Yeah. You know, uh, it's just a B flat blues progression, twelve bar blues. But so sometimes it was it was fun to try to play a character, to try to try to get into a character and yeah. write as this character that Joven is, because that dude's a fucking character. <laughs> I've known him since he was this tall. Um, but with pop punk, it was, you know, I get to express the purest form of my voice because who I am, or at least who I view myself as, um, I don't have to filter it. The, the genre allows for me to express the things that I want to express most. Yeah, not only that, before you were writing for how would he feel and now you're writing for how do you feel. Right. Well, that's now, awesome. I was, I was writing some stuff for how I feel too. Don't get me wrong. There's some stuff in there, uh, but I had to always run things through the filter of what is acceptable for this genre. Sure. What what can I say versus what's going to sound weird? What's mm. not going to fit? Yeah. Whereas with OK Boom Hammer, I don't have to do that. I can write a song like Alex Box Lights, which is about somebody who's super happy to see his girlfriend on the weekends so he drinks away every every night during the week until it's that time where he can drive up the road and go see her then at the end of the song he's just drinking in the bar because she's not waiting for him anymore she's gone yeah. i can have this super sad boom you know hit you i can or i can do a song where he's super hopeful because he just told the girl how he feels about her and he's just waiting to hear what she says back in that moment between just feels like it takes forever. I can do a song like that. Sure. In blues, I can do a song about how my baby left me, but I can't do a song about how, and maybe how I want to die over it, but I, I can't do a song about how I have these doubts about am I ever enough. Blues falls short of introspective thought, you know, where you can explore it in in emotion, emo music, yeah. you know. So I, I get that. That's it's pretty just, cool. And it also that kind of that kind of thing just would sound really weird coming out of Joven Webb. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, imagine Joven Webb going up there and singing a song about how sad and pathetic he and and you know how he can't get no loving, and we all know it's a lot. <laughs> He's getting love in that night, 
probably more than once from more than one from more than one person at the show that he has not met yet. Yeah, like, it just doesn't. We all know it's not true. You had mentioned earlier um, getting everything just right with OK Boomhauer in order to justify taking it to the next level. And I got the idea that maybe that involved some investment. And what is that level? What is that doing? You, you mentioned management. Did you mean management or did you mean a booking agent? And so for me, um, I've, you know, I've managed Bayou Bullets since mid-2015 when mm -hmm. Casey left. And I've managed OK Boomhauer since we started it. And, one of the, and I've learned in that eight, nine years what I'm good at and what I am not. That there are blatant holes in my competency, and some of them were pointed out for me when I went to that music conference where I got to hear from people who were managers and hear from people who were A&R people. So I got to learn some of the things that I, you know, you don't know what you don't know. I got to learn what some of those things were. But I, I've known for a long time that there are several areas that I am just, I'm not there. I can't do it. I've yeah. tried. Not very good at it. I'm working on it, but I'm just not there. Whether it's video editing, which is huge now. I mean, everything is driven by Instagram and TikTok, which are all driven by video. Yeah. Um, I'm not great at video. I am not great at putting together ads and working the algorithm to get that feedback. Now, I'm learning that a little bit. I think if I've got the right content, that I'll be able to make that work. That's a science, dude. It is. It is. <laughs> it's an industry. And I've been studying it, <laughs> yeah. but I, I don't have that. I know yeah. that when it comes to using the, manipulating the recording software, that's not my game, but I have uh, our, our guitar, our lead guitarist, Daniel, he's been learning that. We, we use his studio to basically make demos that, where I can put all the tracks down and then show it to the rest of the band to help them teach. Uh -huh. not, not anything we're going to release, but stuff yeah. that we can use internally to tr test out ideas. Yeah. And then I've got... Um, my producer Marcus Noel and Lafayette that's who I record my finished stuff with so uh, the whole um, Asbury Park album that was all done with him gotcha uh, so I know that when I need that I've, I've, I've lined up the people who do that and that is the next step or well that's that's part of it okay and so I'm, I'm finding and identifying the things that I cannot do sure and identifying the things that I am good at. So that way I can now, now that I have identified those things, I know where I need to put money to bring in people from outside and where I need to, what, what things when I put money on them don't make a return versus what things do. Sure. Uh, what I've learned is that in this day and age, albums are not a good investment. It's a, unfortunately, because I love being a storyteller I want to to do albums where I have a where there's a theme. Right. I want to have albums where there's a story that I tell as I go along, and that you, you that you go along with the person with the narrator, basically. Sure. I want to do concept albums where you know that that's one of my favorite things in, in music are these crazy concept albums like um, Fly By Night by Rush mm -hmm. or Twenty One Twelve or. Uh, American Idiot by Green Day, uh, Welcome to the Black Parade by My Chemical Romance, you know, these albums where they yeah. were like, we're going to tell a, this crazy story and about someone dying of cancer and going to the afterlife. Like, that sounds really fun. I want to tell that story, but it doesn't make financial sense anymore. 
Yes and no. I mean, the idea appeals to a lot of people, but I mean, it's sort of like uh, a graffiti piece or a tattoo as well, because you can appreciate the whole thing with not, without, real, without realizing exactly what it's supposed to be. Exactly. And I think a lot of people do that today piecemeal because the, the, the mediums for music aren't the same anymore. They're there's not. No, there's no B-side. There's no, you know, you don't, you don't get streaming. that benefit. Those were beneficial to people and they, they kind of got X'd out over time. And so today, rather than, okay, we're going to record a whole album once every two to three years and then you tour to promote it and having that whole cycle yeah where you know you have this album and there's probably like three really good songs and like four kind of mid songs and like three really just filler songs <laughs> now yeah. people what they instead do is they release a single or two every few months well because that caters to playlist availability or exactly. you know, chances for playlists exactly and, and so you, you do that and so that way you're spreading out not only are you spreading out the cost of the of, of recording your music yeah but you're also giving yourself a better chance of getting that of the media promotion finding your stuff and deciding to hype it because they like it and you're giving it's, it's basically more bites of the apple because if you release an album that's only one bite at the apple yeah, but it's five right. songs. You only get one bite. Whereas if you're doing it out piecemeal over time, yep. it's five bites of the apple. Obey the algorithm. Obey the <laughs> algorithm. Unfortunately, we, everything's driven by these algorithms, yes. which I do not want to understand. They're, I want nothing to do they're with. They're big, long, secret sentences in the Matrix. So, um, so what's out there by OK Boom Howell right now? Is there is there anything? So there's one EP out. Okay. It's called An American Alligator in Asbury Park. It was released last year. It okay, so that was released. Songs. Okay. Has six songs on it's on Spotify, it's on uh, Apple Apple Music, it's 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 not on Pandora for some reason. I don't know why it's not on Pandora. I'm trying to figure that out. But it's on pretty much every media streaming platform. Uh, it's a really fun album that has this theme of exploring um, unrequited love from different directions. So okay. that has a song about the girl saying, I love you to the guy, and the guy not being able to say it back. It has one about you know he had the love and he lost it he has one where he's he's waiting to hear if she loves him back is it's so every every single song is is tackling love but from a different perspective and from a different direction um one of them it's you know love from a distance you know long distance that or somebody that he's that's kind of forgotten about him and moved on but he he hasn't that kind of stuff but going forward, I've got a bunch. I've got a few more tracks that we're going to be doing this model of. We're going to release a single, or we're going to do collabs, or we're going to do that and try to space out the cost of, of of this recording and instead dump that into videos, video editing, um, putting together TikToks, following those trends, gaming the algorithm, and then using that money to juice ads to try to reach the places we want to reach. Uh, a, a story that I heard when I was at this music conference was about a little band from Canada called Simple Plan. Mm-hmm. Now, Simple Plan, when they were first starting out, they thought they were a badass rock band. They thought their audience was going to be dudes in their 20s and 30s that loved metal and loved ACDC and loved hard rock. What they actually were was a pop, was basically a, a a boy band that their fan base was like 14 year old girls. They didn't know that until their marketing guy kind of did a study and figured out that no dude, the guy, the people who are listening to your songs yeah. are not the people you think they are. 
And as soon as they adjusted their marketing to hit the people who were actually responding to it, they blew up and became this huge act that still tours today. I saw them with some 41 at the Orpheum uh, just a, last year. Gotcha. They're, they're huge. They, it, all, it all came down to identifying their audience. So sure. When I started this band, I figured people that would like it would be people about my age that are, it's a nostalgia act. You know, they're going back, they're listening to the stuff that they liked when they were a kid. Hey, this band kind of sounds like them. Mm-hmm. Boy, was I wrong. We've played shows where, you know, that crowd shows up. They don't care. Really? You know who likes it? 17 to 19 year old kids. It's new to them. It's new. They love it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when we play all ages shows, they go nuts. And so I've got to be able to use this. I'm going to be able to use this money, uh, this marketing money to reach those people all over the country. Sure. And target the places I want to play, dump the song onto those, onto the people who, who like some of the similar bands that I'm trying to have people think of us with. Because now with the way that these marketing algorithms work, you can target the exact consumer and you can get feedback in real time to figure out if, if you're right. Yeah, there's there's more options than there should be for the layman, put it that way. Yeah. You definitely have a lot more capabilities. But now I have the ability to do that because I've, I've figured out the people who actually do like the music mm-hmm. and I figured out that the music is good. We're getting people who know what they're talking about are basically been telling me, hey man, no, you... You're doing, this is right. This is good, man. This is better than most anything else we've heard yeah. this year. Um, that's the, You're killing it in this genre. So now I know who my audience is, and I have a pretty good idea where they're at. Now I have, I'm going to be using that money and putting that, instead of putting good money after bad, trying to just record every song that I want to do, yeah. I'm instead, okay, let's just record the best of the best. One or two a year, and instead use that money once we can get to get a music video that we can promote, and then ads to hit the exact demos that we think are most responsive to our music in the cities we want to play in. So that way, when we show up in those cities, excuse me, when we show up in those cities, there's a crowd there waiting for us. Sure. To hear us. Yep, that's the end goal. Yeah. And uh, I think I think that's very attainable. I think that we can do that with the resources that we have, and and grow. I think. I mean, I think there's a reason why the closest thing to a successful pop punk band that's ever come out of this area is Meriwether, who mm-hmm. didn't quite make it. I, uh, I think there's a good reason for that because it's a tough place to come from, but I think, I think we can do it. I really do. That's awesome, dude. I wish you all the luck in the world, man. I really appreciate your time, too. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Hey, this is Levi from Mistland, Sussbury Child in 1016. Look, man, we all start off as jam bands. We get together, we push our souls all throughout the speakers, man. Simple as that. The connections that we form with our crowds and following is nothing like any other. We'd love to have you back. Click that old button, show your support, or you can check us out at Buy Me a Coffee. Black, 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 Buy me a coffee, backslash, yours music. I am focused. Yeah, 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 yeah.